0: in heaven we all sing like lindsay <laughs> our text is first john chapter 3 verses 11 through 18 i'd like to begin by reading god's word and may it do what was just sung about it in our hearts yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. 1 John is a small letter filled with enormous truths, especially for, for people who are trying to masquerade as Christians, people that want just enough Christianity to think that their prospects in eternity are good, but not so much Christianity that it actually makes any uh, notable difference in their life, and they can hold on and live for the things that they want. And what First John does, it just keeps hammering and hammering and hammering away uh, precisely on the things that the masquerading Christian wants to hide. And it doesn't let masquerading Christians hide. It, it divides. It's a book of polarities where it forces us into one side or the other. It's, it's a letter about, about light and darkness and walking in light and walking in darkness and love and hate and uh, children of God and children of the devil and you read through First John and you realize that in reality there is no straddling the fence when it comes to whether or not you are saved you can't you're not almost saved you're not never almost a Christian you either are and that produces these fruits in your life or you are not and it doesn't And John just keeps drawing these lines, doesn't he? just draws the lines and says, no matter what you say, no matter what you profess, this is either a reality or it isn't. And if it is not, then your uh, profession is spurious. And so we see him doing that here yet again. He draws a very thick black line of distinction between love and hate between Cain and Christ, between giving of yourself and murder. And so this passage we find then is, it's doing what John does. He creates these two opposites and asks the question, okay, which one is true for you? You want to know whether you're a Christian or not? Genuinely, which one of these is true for you? Which of these is in the general and in the directional more true in your life or not. And so we have that here in this passage where we have on the one side we have love and on the other side we have hate. And uh, the second part is love and self-giving for others, joy and good. Okay, so those are the two poles that the passage is held up by. Let's talk about the first one, love and hate. Again, in verse 11, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, we should love one another. Now John has already used this little phrase, what you heard from the beginning, and remember he's the pastor of this church, and he is referring here to what they heard either at the beginning of the the church, maybe in the Apostle Paul, or at the very least at the beginning of his ministry with them. He reminds them, what did I say to you? Don't you recall when you came to faith, what did we say to you? You've heard this from the beginning. Namely, he says, love one another. Now, we've already seen this in 1 John, but it bears repeating that the Apostle John, if there was one thing that John was known for, you read through his gospel, you read through 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, if there is a recurring theme in his writings, it is the need to love. Love for God. God's love for us and our love for one another. Love, love, love. I bet the people in his church, when they left the services, are like, all he does is talk about love all the time. I got to thinking to myself, if you were looking the, you know, on, the, on the blog, on the Apostle John's blog, I'm sure he had one, uh, that listed all his favorite preaching series. I would imagine sermon titles like this. Love is a verb. Love makes the world go round. Really crazy love. And on and on, that was tongue in cheek, but you get the idea here. I hope that John never got tired of talking about love. He never got over the fact that Jesus loved him. He calls himself, by, by the way, in his own gospel, not by his name, but merely as the apostle that John that, that Jesus loved. And so love just resonated in his heart. It no doubt resonated in his life and in his ministry the apostle of love. And so the people that he's writing to would have been very familiar with this theme. And when they saw it here, they'd be like, oh yeah, yeah, okay, here we go again. The apostle John, he loves to talk about love. And indeed he did. And what we find here is that that John draws a comparison between the story and the example of Cain and the story and the example of Jesus. And so he, he... goes back in the story, way back in the story, to talk about Cain. And I just want to quickly tell the story of Cain so you can know why he does this. We're going all the way back to Genesis chapter 4. Adam and Eve uh, have sinned. That's Genesis 3. They have, been, uh, they have been exited out of the Garden of Eden. And now they, uh, they begin a family. And their first son, his name is Cain. And his second son is, is named Abel. And Cain and Abel uh, were very different guys. Cain was a farmer, tilled the ground, raised vegetables and such. And Abel uh, was the livestock guy. And so he had sheep and who knows what else. Well, Genesis 4 tells us that the time came for them to offer their worship to God. And so Abel took from what his uh, resources were, which was sheep... And he offered a sheep in in sacrifice to God. And Cain, who was the farmer, gathered vegetables and in a way that they did then, offered these as an offering to God. And the text says that God accepted Abel's offering, but he did not accept Cain's offering. Cain didn't like that. And Cain cast a... I at his brother Abel and I know this is very uncommon for brothers to look this way at each other the green eye of envy the green eye of jealousy he looked at Abel and he thought to himself why would God accept his offering and not mine who does who does Abel think he is and he perceived in Abel maybe just a little sense of Oh, look at me. And that just drove him into further depths of jealousy. And that jealousy became hate. And that hate became murder. And Cain, out in the field, murdered his brother Abel, took his life. Here we are just one generation from uh, Adam and Eve, the pure Adam and Eve who had sinned. And they're not just, you know, slandering each other and and, uh, uh, skipping out on Sunday school. We have murder right from the beginning. And Cain did it. And we see that triad developing. Jealousy, hate, murder. Now why did Cain do this? The text says, Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Cain's feelings towards Abel represented the effects that sin has on human relationships. Sin divides us. Sin uh, creates inside of us malice towards others. In fact, one commentator said, all hate is embryonic murder. Hate is the seeds out of which even violent acts towards each other happen. And I see, I see a police officer right here in the service, and we probably have a few more. If you were to talk to them about the things that they see and the fruit of Uh, hate and, and rancor and malice and violence that people do towards one another. How does that happen? Where does that come from? It comes from the human heart. Okay? You can take away the knives. You can take away the grenades. You can take away the bombs. You can take away the guns. You can take away all of that. But you cannot take away the seeds of murder. It is in the fallen human nature. And Cain had that. And he murdered his brother able. So hate is the seed behind all murder. Verse 13. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. And there's that polarity. There's that comparison. Whoever does not love abides on the other side, which is the side of hate. It is the side of death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. So what John does then is he says, Cain, he sets up Cain, he says, Cain is the archetype for all mankind that hates and murders his brother. Hate not love. You hearing the difference? Hate not love. Death not life. Darkness not light. Think about why Jesus was killed. Think about why they killed Jesus, really. And yes, there was some politics, and yes, there was some power struggle. But when you have a guy, I mean, think about what Jesus did. He fed people. He healed people. He taught things that inspired them. He mobilized people he empowered people, he transformed people. That's exactly the kind of guy you got to murder, don't you think? And then you throw in there raising people from the dead and all the rest. I mean, who wants a guy like that around? We desperately need somebody like that around here, don't we? Oh, that'd be be so great. But what, what was behind that? Again, politics, maybe a little bit of that. Sure, throw that in there. But what was really behind that was the Pharisees looking at Jesus in their darkness. And they were threatened by the light of truth as found in Christ. And within them, that light revealed how dark their darkness was. And the darkness wanted to kill the light. Death wanted to kill life. And so John says, do not be surprised if the world hates you. This is so profound for the day that we're living in right now, I think. Where? You can, be, you can believe in the, any uh, fairy godmother and uh, crazy you know, purple cows in some place in Arizona, and you can worship beetles. you're good. But if you're a Christian, it's a whole different ballgame, isn't it? Why is it that other religions and other faiths and other, other philosophies, and even just people that live materialistically or live, you know, hedonistically, living for pleasure, or they're, they're into something, they're all about this, that, or the other, nobody cares about that. But Christianity and the name of Jesus does something in our culture that the fairy godmother and the the silly philosophy, nobody cares about that. But they care about the name of Jesus and they are bothered by, somehow fundamentally bothered by, somebody who professes to be a Christ follower. Why is that? Is it merely a coincidence that of all the religions of the world and all the cults of the world and all the rest, that there is one faith that is vilified more than any other? It just happens to be Christianity. The reason it is that way is because that is what the Bible said it would be. The darkness does not like the light. It is threatened by it. Like Cain was threatened by Abel. Darkness in this culture is threatened by the light of truth and the light of the gospel, and especially Jesus. I mean, you could, you could throw out any name. I'm always about Alexander the Great. I'm a, I'm a Lincolnite, you know. I'm a, I'm a this, I'm a that. Nobody, they don't give a rip. You say, hey, I'm about Jesus. Keep that to yourself, right? Keep that to yourself. Why don't they want the Ten Commandments anywhere? Why are they trying to erase the Judeo-Christian God out of our culture? Is it just a coincidence? And the Bible says, no, it's actually proving the point. (laughs) Isn't that the irony of the whole thing? The hatred towards Christianity shows it's true. Of course, that won't get on... Too much of uh, television or anything—don't look for that. But it is this is what we see in the Bible: the darkness will uh, always hate the light, and that is why the Christian worldview is mocked, and that is why young people in our uh, teenagers in our church—they uh, have to be prayed up when they go to their school, and they can talk about anything else. But the moment they talk about their faith, they know that they're in trouble. That is why, and there's just, I'm going to just throw a few examples of this out here. Maybe I'm belaboring the point because you're all nodding your head. Yes, we know indeed this is true. But let me belabor the point a little bit. That is why just some contemporary examples that came to my mind as I was preparing this. When, when Pastor Rick Warren, a few weeks ago, tragically, his son was killed by suicide. Took his own life. He was skewered on social media, articles written about the things people were saying about him. Can you imagine anybody else's son committing suicide and people doing that? Why Rick Warren? Why? And this is a dangerous thing, but I'm going to say it anywhere because it's just so out there all the time. And I don't know the guy, and, and so... But why do people... Why do they hate Tim Tebow? He's simultaneously amazingly popular and the most hated man in america if you watch espn there are some guys on there they love to rake him over the coals there's a thousand other guys who never even made the pros that they could rake over the coals and talk about what a terrible player they are but this one individual oh they savor it why darkness hates the light So don't be surprised when the world hates you. It is Cain and Abel all over again, is what John is writing about. So this is why holding to a moral universe will get you mocked and vilified. This is why if you say something in the public square uh, about abortion and human life, it will get you mocked. This is why if you say something currently in the public square, like just even happened this last week about same-sex marriage and issues related to that, you will be mocked and you will be vilified. It is not a coincidence. And it is not even, it's not intellectual. It is spiritual. There is a spiritual drive and vilification that darkness must have of the light. They hate it, is what the Bible says. Just like Cain hated Abel. Who does he think he is? Who does Abel think that he is Mr. Righteous? Oh, I think I'll take care of that. And indeed he did. Murder is a sign of someone walking in darkness. Indeed, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now, I would imagine many of us are saying to ourselves, well, 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 I'm liking where this message is going. After all, it is a sermon about whether you are a Christian or not and how you can know, and I'm here to tell you right now, I've never murdered anyone. Is that the trumpet sounding? Peter, is that you at the pearly gates? I'm in like Flynn. I must be good. I've never murdered anyone. And what I want to say is that that is not what John is trying to say. Look at your life and see if you didn't murder anyone. Actually, takes it even deeper. Do you hate anyone? And now we're all kind of wondering, maybe I'm not going to heaven, right? John is not wanting us to look and see if something is not a part of my life. If I don't murder somebody. The point of the passage, and by the way, there are many people that do that with their Christianity. They say, I must be good with God because I don't do this and I don't do that. And that is not a part of my story. So I must be good with God. No, (laughs) that is not the case. God doesn't save us to not do things. He saves us to do things for things to be evident in our life. And that's where John is going. He's pointing out the fact that murder cannot be a part of it. Yes, that's true. But there is something that has to be present. There is one thing that shows that I have tasted of the grace of God. And it's not that I don't murder, rather, it is that I love. It is the presence of love more than the absence of hate and murder that shows that I have tasted of the grace of God. In fact, look at chapter 3, verse 16. By this we know love. That he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Now sometimes the Bible references, you know, the chapter and the verse. Sometimes they don't help us. It's hard to remember them. And then there are some times when the Bible helps us, actually. This is First John 3.16. John 3.16 most famous verse in the Bible, what does that say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And we see in John 3.16 that the love of God compelled him to give of himself in the saving of mankind from our sins. And so 1 John 3.16 says almost exactly the same thing, doesn't it? By this we know love. That he laid down his life for us. And so we have then this paradigm that shows what what kind of love are we talking about here? We're talking about the kind of love that God had in the sending of his son. We're talking about the kind of love that Jesus had in the giving of his life. That is the cross, that is Calvary, that's Good Friday. When Jesus died, he gave of himself. And John says, that's how we know what love is. When you want to know what I'm talking about when I say you ought to love the brothers, I'm talking about this kind of love that Jesus had and gave of himself. Do you see that, everyone? I can do it again. Okay. How do we know what love is? We know what love is. Not by looking around in the world of darkness where you don't see love. You see hate. You see murder. How do we, as people living in darkness, know what love is? We look at the cross. And at the cross, we don't see a murderer. We don't see a taker. We see a giver, and we see a savior. And that selflessness, the giving of his life, is the paradigm... Of the kind of love that we are to have for one another. Are you with me now? Okay. All right. You'll learn, even when you have no idea what I'm saying, to nod your head yes. Yes. Okay, so we see then that love is the opposite of the world. The world is darkness. darkness love is Light. The world is everyone's taking, taking, taking. The love here is giving, 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 giving. This is murder, where I take what is most valuable in the other person. I take it from them. But love is not the taking, it is the giving, not from them, but from me, of what is most valuable to me for the sake of the other. This is love. This is agape. This is Christianity. This is the love of God. This is Calvary love. God suffering for us. God bleeding for us. Friend, can I say this to you? Maybe you have some other idea, ideology, philosophy, religion, something that you follow. You say, why should I be interested in in Christianity? I'll give you one big reason Find me another religion where that God bleeds for you. Okay, He bleeds for us. He dies for us. That ultimate giving of all that I have, he laid down his life for us. And so we find then, friends, that we're not talking about a kind of sentimental love, are we here? This is not a feelings-based love. This is not a me-based love. Love So out with all the lovey-dovey kind of, sort of, uh, uh, we're nice to eat, we're nice people, Minnesota nice, lovey kind of nice, we're kind of that kind of thing. Out with that. We're not just courteous. We're not just opening the door for each other. We're not helping old people across the street. Although some of the old people here would appreciate a little help after the service, no doubt. We are talking about ultimate love stirring love, get-your-attention kind of love that's not found in a world filled with darkness. It's the love of God. Through Christ, bloody, selfless, exhausting, total love. And then he adds this statement, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Well, now that'll separate the pretenders from the real people, won't it? All of you that are prepared to die tonight for somebody here, please move over to this side of the room. And all the rest of you go over there. We'd sort of know who was serious about this whole thing, wouldn't we? And indeed, we would. And I don't, I don't think that, that it's, it's saying that we have to die for one another. But the call and the model and the paradigm and the what if is that by god's design this love in us becomes god's love through us okay you say oh, how how would anybody be that kind of loving towards somebody else it is the love of god in us That becomes the love of God expressed through us. And is it so hard to think that this is how God has set it up? I mean, this is the God who... He he created the world and and, and water becomes ice, right? And the larva becomes the butterfly. and, and, And the winter becomes spring, right? This is the God who made all of this and made it to do that way. And what he has said is this. That when people get the love that God has shown to us through Christ like ice into water and larva into butterfly and, and winter into spring, the hater becomes a lover. The darkness becomes light. The taker becomes a giver. It's just the way that it is when the love of God through the gospel is in my heart. Now I'm going to try to illustrate it this way. See if this works very well. I never did well in art, by the way. I wrote a book about it, but I never did good in it. All right. Let me do this. Here we go. That looks like a tulip on a mountain, doesn't it? It was supposed to be a person. Now, I'm going to make this as as uber simple as I can. I want every child here to understand what the text is saying. When we're born, this is how we're born. Self-centered. We are takers. Everything we can, we make it about us. Right? And then, the love of God comes into our Heart, through the gospel. And the result of that is that now the arrows are reversed. Now we are this way. And now we are that way. It's the love of God in us that becomes now that same kind of agape love through us. The love of God becomes outward arrows the hater becomes a lover pastor steve that was so cool (laughs) what do i have to do then like what's the bare minimum here that i have to do in this whole loving other thing like how outwardly arrowing do I need to be to know that I'm going to go to heaven? Well, look at verse 17. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. It would be easy to read this passage and say, I don't murder. I need to love people generally. Sounds great. Let's get out the door. I'm good. Appreciate the message very much. And then John gets to the point. He says, oh, wait a second. Let's bring this down to the street level. Let's bring it down to the street level in the real world where there are people that have real needs all around us. He says, if anyone has the world's goods, this would be, if anyone has material resources, he's giving an example here. And as Americans, I think it's pretty safe to say that's probably all of us here. Okay. By the world standards, it would be all of us here. And sees his brother in need. Now notice that the text doesn't say why the person has come into a place of being in need. It doesn't say that they've made poor choices. It doesn't It doesn't talk about circumstances. It doesn't say if there was a hurricane or a tornado, yes, but otherwise, no. It doesn't talk about family consequences. It doesn't talk about destructive habits in their life. All it says is they have a need. If a Christian sees a fellow Christian in need, and the text says, and closes his heart to him, turns his back on him, Feels no compassion for him in his distress. Wishes him well. i pray for you, brother. But there's no arrowing. Practically. There's no self-giving. Personally. John asks, how does God's love abide in him? And it's a, it's a great question, isn't it? Because what does God's love do? God's love doesn't do that. God's love arrows to the need, doesn't it? It sees the need, and the arrows of God's love go and meet the need. How do we know that? We look at the cross, and we know that. That's exactly what God did through Christ, and we even see that in the ministry of Jesus, don't we? As he walked around, you want a good example of this? Look at what Jesus did. He walked around, and here's somebody that has a disease of some kind. What did Jesus do? He arrowed to him, and he met the need. And the the 4,000 and the 5,000 were hungry, and what did Jesus do? He didn't say, I'm the Savior, I'm the King, I'm God, and they can just, uh, you know, uh, fend for themselves. He arrowed to them, and he met the need. We think about him at at the tomb of Lazarus, and the compassion and the love that flowed from him in tears that he wept as he was there at the grave of his friend. You don't find him distant. He's not sort of stepping back and saying, I hope somebody meets that need. You know, what does he do? He arrows to it. The love of God arrowed through Jesus in practical, personal ways where he involved himself in the messy, real problems that people have. And we love him for that, and we worship him for that, and we sing to him, and we've offered all of our hope and faith in him. But that's divine love. The compassion he felt led to action. Maybe that's what we should call it, compaction. Compassion in action, compaction. How's your compaction? When was the last time you compacted? In any way that cost you something, where you had to sacrifice and give energy, time, money, help, encouragement, use your skills or whatever it may be, One guy said this, it's easier to be enthusiastic about humanity with a capital H than to love individual men and women, especially those who are uninteresting, exasperating, depraved, or otherwise unattractive. Loving everybody in general may be an excuse for loving nobody in particular. This is what John calls loving in word or talk. Lots of people like to talk about loving, don't they? Oh yes, we must love one another. I'm all about love. We need to meet needs in our community. We need to meet needs in society. And it, it aggravates me to no end in politics when you've got some guy that has a reputation for being an advocate for the poor because he'll send all kinds of government money to meet the need. And then his taxes, his personal taxes come out. And we find that the guy gives hardly anything to charitable uh, giving. I call that hypocrisy. Because you can talk about it, and you can give other people's money to it, but it is only love when you are doing it. That is the love of Christ, who didn't love in general. (laughs) He loved in particular, and he loved in the shedding of his own blood for us, is it really so different in churches, friends? I wonder how easy it is for us to hide behind our benevolent fund, or to hide behind mission them, and to say, think to myself, well, I I think I'm pretty good with God. Why I go to a church that's all about you know mission them thing. Go get them cheering for you. I might even give a little money to that thing. Go get them. And never to be moved personally, to never be involved personally. And then when somebody in your world, in your sphere, has a need. And friends, let's be honest. There is no shortage of people all around us that have very practical needs. And suddenly that person is not somebody in general. It is somebody in particular. And they are in your world and in your life. That is the moment that decides it. More than a thousand sermons preaching about love. That moment decides and indicates whether the love of God is in my heart. Does it compel me in some way? Am I moved within me in compassion... For this person who is in need? And does that compassion lead to action or not? And if not, why not? Do we talk or do we do? Which way do our arrows orient? And I think this is something we can grow in. I think it's something as a church we desperately need to grow in. I think we're all happy with Mission Them. And I, I think maybe next weekend I'm sharing some um, developments in that regard. And we're glad for what God is doing. And we're all about that. And how easy it is to hide behind that, isn't it? And to raise the banner of Mission Them and the church and what we're doing and not be moved individually. And I want to challenge... Every member of our church and every attender in our church, that the gospel is not love in general, it is love in particular. And there isn't a single one of us who isn't around needy people all the time. And you might be here saying, I'm the needy person. Over here, here I am. Do your arrows orient outwardly? Or are you just focused on your need, wishing somebody would love you? We all have needs, if you want to say that, right? We all can just sit around and wait for somebody to love me. But we're called to love others, to love one another, and to do that in very practical ways. And the thing that I want us to get in this, because it'd be easy for us to be like, oh, yeah, I could almost give this message at some political rally of some kind, right? And that's why we've got to go out there and, Save the snails, or something like that. Uh, And everybody, that's a good sermon. I like that guy. There is a difference between what is popularly called compassion and what John is talking about here. And I don't want anybody to miss this. It is the downward arrow of the love of God that is the key. This is not human beings doing good things to earn salvation. It is the gospel Christ has laid down his life for us. We have been recipients of this love. We, it's changed our hearts. We are so, we're, we're awash in this love. We're, we're celebrating the love of God. And that love, by God's design and by the Spirit, this is a Spirit, this, it's supernatural. It's supernatural, okay? It's not manufactured here. It is the work of God through his love in the gospel, in the heart of the individual who now has come alive spiritually. And a part of that coming alive is that now I love others the way that I have tasted of the love of God. It's the gospel. It it, it must be gospel motivated, generated. Otherwise, we all live, you leave here and you think to yourself, what was the sermon about tonight? I need to I need to try harder. I need to try harder. And so many sermons, mine included no doubt, they miss the connection between the gospel and what we're doing. And so we just leave here burdened, like i got to go try harder. Like some kind of a moral therapy session here. It's not that. You're a sinner. On your own, the arrows always go towards you. But you've tasted of the love of God in the gospel, where God's love didn't go towards him, it came to us. And that love within us now creates a desire to arrow out from us and to give of ourselves for others. And John is saying, if there is none of that, if rather you're walking in darkness, you're hating your brother, you're not, you don't care, there's no compassion in your life, have you tasted of the love of God? So take a moment, friend. Let's just do a little self-inventory. How long has it been since you willingly were involved in the needs of somebody else, who, by the way, had nothing to offer you, there's no kickback, where you sought to minister, help them in ways that went beyond the Slap on the back, I'll pray for you, Christian, blah, blah, blah. When was the last time your fingernails were dirty in the helping of somebody? How long has it been? And maybe God wants to stir that love from him in our hearts so that we could re-engage in that, and that would be a wonderful thing. But if there has not been that, if you are a hater, if you are a, if you are a bitter, old, nasty person that everybody around you feels no love, compassion, care whatsoever, have you tasted of the love of God? I doubt it. Why? Because the love of God changes us from haters into lovers. Now, let me give you an example of just a story. And we have these stories around here. Praise God for them. But just a story. Uh, there was a family in our community this past year that was, they were in a car accident. Okay? The mom was hurt. The children were hospitalized. And as a result of her injury, she lost her job. And complicating that, this is that her husband lost his job as well, and so, and this was her ex-husband, I'm sorry, and the child uh, support payments stopped coming in. She's in a desperate situation. Well, the good news for this woman is that she happened to work with a Bethelonian. Wouldn't it be great to have the reputation in the community that, you know what, no matter where you work, as long as you got a Bethelonian there, it's a good place to work. You work on that this week, Okay. (laughs) There was a Bethelonian that she worked with who told her about our, our church, talked about the, um, some of the needs that we delight to, to meet through our benevolent ministry, which we're going to be taking an offering for, uh, by the way, in a, in a little bit. And so the woman came, connected with our church, connected with a few women in our church, who began to reach out to her and who began to have Bible studies with her. They got her a Bible. They were praying with her. And this woman wrote a letter, and here's part of what she said. After I left our meeting, my hopes and feelings started to change a little. You will never understand what a difference this has made in me and my children's lives. I have met so many wonderful people, and I will never forget the little piece of the little bit of peace and sunshine that has been put back into our lives. Things are still difficult, but mentally and physically, I am feeling stronger every day. Please let me know if there is anything I can do to volunteer to show my gratitude. And you see sort of that, then that kind of reciprocating love where now she wants to love others. And then this, I've been attending services at the Cedar Lake campus and hope to become a member soon. Now, It's just an example, right, of a little bit of love, a little bit of help, a little bit of time, and what that feels like to a person who's in distress, and how in that we can share the gospel and talk about the love of God and Christ, and to see that change happen. And I wonder, think of the two women that have been meeting with this woman and and helping her and all the rest. What do they think when they see this woman walking into church? Dragging some kids along. That's got to be a high, isn't it? I would think so. That's like a rush. It's a drug. Perhaps that's the angle we should take on ministry from now on. Serve at Bethel better than drugs or something. I'm digressing at the end of the message, which is a dangerous thing to do. All right, so let me just ask this. How about it in your life? Is the vertical love of God... Turning you, has it turned you from a hater to a lover? And is that love not just words, but where it is actually personally willing to give on the street level, on the personal level, to help and to meet the needs of others? So I want to encourage you to take that step. Walk across the room, go across the road to your neighbor. Extend the hand, make the call, write the check, offer your help, get involved. Arrows arrow down, arrows out. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, we pray that you would help us to display your love. Help us to understand it. May it be deep in our hearts. May we say with John, Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished on us. And may that astonished faith and worship produce a congregation filled with lovers who delight to meet each other's needs and to give of ourselves. And may this community of faith, this congregation... Live out the light of the truth in a world in a world of darkness that hates the light and yet longs for it. So we pray to that end, dear God, in Jesus' name. Amen.